I have a song for you. Uh, music awakens our heart. I was just telling Chris and some of the guys that when I drive home um, to Fairhope every Thursday afternoon, I listen to a couple of podcasts, a little uh, um, uh, fine bomb and sports and all that stuff. And uh, by the time I get to Sims or Wilmer in that crazy section of that trip and when in the world they're going to finish that uh, 12 mile stretch of two lane highway, that, that is, I've never, I've never heard the political uh, uh, entanglement that that is, but I know there's politics involved with that big time. Uh, but when I get to about that section, I turn the, uh, the podcast off and I turn the music on because the music gets you home. The music gets you home. Music awakens our heart, keeps us going. And this morning, um, we're, we're starting on step five. It's about confession, confession to another person. And I, and I thought, you know, what, what song do I need to be more attuned to confessing my sins, my failures, my faults to another person? And I thought, you know, if I really knew that I was forgiven, if I believed I was forgiven, if I was, if I was so forgiven that I was forgiven, then I could tell anybody anything because it wouldn't matter, would it? And part of the reason of our inhibition and prohibition toward confessing to another person, which is what step five is about, is we don't believe we're forgiven. We can answer it on the test, am I forgiven? Yes, Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven. True, true false test. But I don't, I don't believe I'm forgiven experientially, relationally. David Crowder has written a great song on forgiveness. I've done things I wish I hadn't done. I've seen things I wish I hadn't seen. And just the thought of your amazing grace, and I cry, Jesus, forgive me. God, I fall to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open, forgiven, forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. May you hear the voice of God. Open your heart to what he has for us this morning. Between my fingertips, I've hidden in the garden. I've denied you with my very lips. God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. Do you look at me? Arms open Forgiven Forgiven Child there is freedom from all of it Say goodbye To every sin You are forgiven I wish I hadn't done 
I've seen things I wish I hadn't seen Just the thought of your amazing grace And I cried, Jesus, forgive me God, I fall down to my knees With a hammer in my head You look at me Arms open Forgiven Forgiven Child, there is freedom Say goodbye To every sin Joe, get this thing off my shoulder Could have been six feet under. I could have been lost forever. Yeah, I should be in that fire. But now there's fire inside of me. Yeah, I'm a dead man walking. No grave gonna hold God's people. All the weight of all our evil lived it away forever free. Who could believe? Who could believe? Forgiven, forgiven. <clears throat> you love me even when I don't deserve it. Forgiven, I'm forgiven. Jesus, your blood makes me innocent. So I will say goodbye. To every sin, I am forgiven. Oh, I am forgiven. Amen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 12 steps. A classic model for spiritual growth. Today, we tackle step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Emphasis on another human being. Why would we do that? It's just me and Jesus. I just need to confess to God. It's just me and Jesus. You know, I, I am um, uh, by profession uh, a mental health uh, provider. Um, I've been uh, doing counseling now uh, for over 20 years. It's amazing to me um, just how wise and what an incredible framework for healing and growth that the 12 steps are. I mean, what um, God did in Dr. Bill and um, uh, Bill W.'s life, uh, and for them to be around the Oxford group, um, and to put together a framework of Christian growth, of Christian healing, of real change is amazing. And through the years, of course, it's uh, developed and 
the language of a higher power and all that sort of thing has come into it. And yet there's wisdom even in the higher power. I'm so grateful for that language, higher power, so that somebody doesn't have to believe in my God or your God initially. But certainly as they get involved, I want them to believe in the God of the Bible that, they, that, that you and I believe in. When somebody comes into my counseling practice, I don't necessarily want them to know. They don't have to know that I'm a lover of Jesus and that I'm a Christian, that I believe in God. But I guarantee you, if they'll sit with me long enough, they'll find out. They'll find out. And in the framework of the 12 steps, yeah, we can uh, sit back and criticize it and all that, but you start hearing the testimonies of, of people, lives of people who have been changed who have gone through that process, then I would hope it would bring those, of, uh, those who are critical of it to shame because sitting in front of a man's life who has been changed, a woman's life who has been changed, will awaken you to your own criticism, your own Phariseeism, uh, your own arrogance. Um, Easter was an incredible day for us. I hope it was an incredible day for you. We had the opportunity to host about 15 people around the table. We had four widows. Uh, we had four younger people. We had a Jewish uh, believer couple who had come to the Lord uh, from Philadelphia, uh, from Jewish backgrounds, little gal who um, did not know the Lord. Um, and we, um, I asked him to do two things. First of all, I wanted them to tell a story of an Easter memory, a tradition of Easter, you know, growing up. Of course, I told them about the Peter's Holler egg fight, you know. I'll, I'll tell you the Peter's Holler egg fight uh, on another day. But that's what we did in East Tennessee, went to the Peter's Holler egg fight. Now, it's not hollow, it's, it's holler, right? Um, but then the second thing that I asked him uh, to share was just when did Easter become meaningful to you, that it was more than the Easter bunny or more than just getting uh, uh, a new bow tie or a new dress? And we sat there. Um, Jimmy told me he wasn't mad. He had to leave early, son. I told him I was going to embarrass him when he got up and left. So. <laughs> Uh, 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 but it was so cool at the end of that time to have 15, 16 people sitting around and we knew each other before we came in there. Nobody knew everybody. Um, I was meeting people for the first time around our, um, Easter table. It's much like when we start telling the stories of our lives and we're open and honest with one another, things change. Doesn't matter what you wear. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care how much education you've had. I know that you're just as hungry and needy um, for love, to be seen, to be understood as I am. And step number five in the 12 steps really helps us go through that process. I want you to pick up your pen and engage with me this morning. Let's go to work. I have three questions for you that I want to invite you to respond to. Question number one, 
when you did step four, assuming that you did step four, which is making an inventory of your failures, how much closer to God did you feel? If you would sit down, when you have sat down, and you make an inventory of just how you have failed, is that helpful in your walk with God? Of course, you 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 have to answer that. And and again, I'm, uh, my question uh, presupposes uh, assumes that you've done step four. And what I would say to you, if you've never done step four, really acknowledged your sin, acknowledged your failure, acknowledged those things. Um, that you wish you could go back and redo, be a better father, a better husband, that you wish that you had never missed that baseball game, that football game, that you wish that you had never said what you said to your children. You know, you know, this past week, um, I've had several just, uh, you know, sometimes uh, sin comes in buckets. You ever had that feeling that, you just just feel like that you're you're getting kind of the same bucket full of sin coming at you, and the bucket full of sin that has been coming at me uh, this week is the stories of hearing how fathers and mothers say four letter words to their children. Now, gentlemen, you know me; those of you who know me, you know I'm not against saying a four letter word. I, I'll I'll definitely say a four letter word. You know, uh, I think it can be just funny sometimes. I think it can be a pointed thing uh, to make a point. Um, I'm not encouraging four-letter words, but I'll tell you what I am doing, and that, that is discouraging four-letter words to your children. That that blows my mind, that you would say, you're just a little bleep. You're not worth a bleep. Who does that? And I would just say, if there's any man in this room that's ever done that, then I have compassion for you because it was probably done to you. You're passing it on, and I would go back, pick up the phone, write a card, go back, and say to your son, say to your daughter, you know, anytime I've ever used a four-letter word in my communication to you to communicate anything, it was wrong, and I am so sorry. I can't believe that. Making an inventory. Second question that I would ask you, what are your hopes and fears? What are your hopes and fears? What would you like to see happen in your life, in your family's life over the next three, four, or five years? And how would step five get you to where you want to be? The idea there is acknowledging what you're afraid of, what your hopes are, putting them together, and then using your confession of how you failed as a means to facilitate your hopes and attack your fears. And I would just suggest to you, give you a little hint, what you're doing in that kind of framework is developing a culture of intimacy that's called intimacy, that you are allowing yourself to be known, your hopes, 
What are your dreams and your fears, what you're afraid of? And then you're actually beginning to share how in your failure and in your sin that somehow you have impeded your hopes and dreams from being reached. And you've actually, in your failure, increased your fears and anxiety and your attempt to defend or hide behind the shame that those failures have created. It's a pretty powerful dynamic to think that what you really want is intimacy. Your hopes will reveal that. Your fears will show you how you're afraid of that. My, my famous, most beloved quote of all time is G.K. Chesterton's quote. G.K. Chesterton was C.S. Lewis's teaching mentor, and Chesterton said that every man who walks into a brothel is looking for God. I love that because it's like sometimes we don't even know what we're seeking, but even when we're seeking illegitimate love, illegitimate relationship, it's really the deepest relationship that we hunger for, that we would be known and seen by God and those that love us. Third question. Which of your faults is the most difficult to acknowledge to another human being? Which of your faults? Now, now keep in mind, I didn't ask you, do you have faults? <laughs> Duh. Uh. I know you have faults, but if you and I were having a cup of coffee and you were buying, of course, you would be buying if we were having a cup of coffee. And I said, tell me the hardest thing to tell me. Tell me the hardest thing to tell me. How's that for a question? What comes to your mind? What would be hardest to tell? Let me give you a list of things that I've heard in the last two weeks. Just a sample. I cheated. I committed infidelity on my wife. Now, she doesn't know about it, but I want you to help us with our marriage, but I'm not going to tell her. You know what my response to that is? Dude, I'm good. I'm really good, but I ain't that good. I'm not that good. You're going to have to tell her. Oh, I can't tell her. I want you to help us with our marriage, but I can't tell her. I lied about a business deal to my husband. It cost the company over a million dollars. It may sink our family business. I can't tell that, but I want you to help us because we're struggling. You're going to have to tell him. But he'll leave me. He'll, he'll never forgive me. You're going to have to tell him. I have a child with another woman. Um, I can't tell anybody that. It's not my wife's. It's not ours. It's with another woman. I've got to keep that a secret. Can you help me? Yeah, I can help you, but you're going to have to tell that. 
I struggle with lust, and I could never tell my wife the crazy thoughts that go through my head when I'm in church, when I'm at a restaurant. Hate that for you, but you're going to have to tell her if you want to get better. My husband won't let me see his phone. He's got a lock on the door to his home office. He assures me that nothing's going on. I think he's lying. (laughs) Incredible insight, sweetheart. What makes you think he's lying? He assures me that the reason he's got, this, this, this is true. I'm not making this up. I know sometimes you think I'm making stuff up, but it, I mean, the reason I keep doing what I'm doing is just for the pure entertainment value at this point. Uh, I'm not very good, but I collect a lot of good stories. This guy had a padlock, not, not like a, just go to the hardware store and buy a doorknob lock or something. He had a padlock, a Yale lock with a key on the outside of his office, and it kept assuring his wife, everything's fine, sweetheart. There's nothing in there. <laughs> There's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm. How about this one? How about this one? I have an anger problem that is ruining my life. I don't want to admit it to my wife. She keeps telling me that I'm angry, and I say, no, I'm not. I can't admit that I'm angry. It's like, dude, I think everybody knows. (laughs) And it's like, you're telling me that you're afraid to tell? They know. All right, final one, because this is just too funny. I'm not trying to do a comic routine. I know it sounds like I'm doing like a Jay Leno monologue or something. Last one, I've said hurtful and hateful words to my kids. I've used four-letter words with my kids. I don't want to admit that to anybody, but I'm here admitting it to you. I said, you're going to go. Over time, we're going to work together, and you're going to go talk to your son, and you're going to apologize for that. I don't care what he's done, what she's done. There is never a place to use a four-letter word with your son or your daughter. I call that evil. That's abusive. That's not a mistake. That's abusive. Admitting our faults to another person. Do I have to do that? The Bible just says, you know, confess your sins, doesn't it? Confess your sins. Well, That is one verse. Let's go to another verse. How about James 5.16? Turn over to James 5.16 with me. Again, the passages are uh, there on the back of your notes. Uh, Reading from the New Living Translation. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. The Bible does say, confess to another person. Again, I want you to think about that experientially. Why is is that 
a need? Why is the Bible so clear on that? We'll tease that out. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 5. This is the message he's given us to announce to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. I mean, even if we just understood this whole uh, metaphor and paradigm of light and dark, light and dark, you know, got to live in the light, no darkness allowed. Turn the light on. So, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. You know, sometimes I think we ought to have church in the dark. You know, no lights. Everybody come in and just sit in darkness. And then the pastor gets up and he says, we ain't turning the lights on until people start confessing their sins. And each time somebody confesses their sin, somebody lights a candle. And another person confesses their sins. They light another candle. I've never seen this done, but this, is, this could work. And all of a sudden, everybody confesses their sins, and there's light everywhere. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, verse 8 is so critical. If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. See, see, the shame is not our sin. We think it is, but the shame is not telling our sin. That's where the shame comes in. The shame comes in by living in denial and being afraid or unwilling to admit to our wives, to admit to our children, to admit to our friends that we've made a mistake, that we failed. And I would just say, even as I use that phrase, made a mistake, mm, no, let's don't use that. Let's just say, I failed. I failed. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And then I love verse 1 and 2. Again, keep in mind when the scriptures were first written, it was a letter. There, was, there wasn't a break in chapters and verses and all that. So just continue on and listen to this. My dear children, it's, it's like pleading. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, and when you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. We always have an advocate. That's what it says in your study Bible. It's an advocate. He stands by our side. I'll go with you. I'm standing with you. Confess your sins. Acknowledge your failures. See, this whole process looks like this. <clears throat> Confession.
is to acknowledge failure. And what we want to look at is what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose all about? Why would we do that? I mean, Scripture is very clear in Colossians chapter 2 that all of our sins are forgiven. They were nailed to the cross. You never have to worry about it. But then we come along in this idea of Christian maturity, Christian growth, Christian journey, Christian pilgrimage, to where we have to be engaged in the process. And that's where confession comes in. And so the purpose, and then this idea of why with another person, why do I have to tell another person? Why can't I just go in my prayer closet, get on my knees, and just tell Jesus that I'm sorry? Here's the process. I want to take you back to the 12 steps here for just a minute. Jeff, throw that slide up um, just on the 12 steps. Now, this is the way the 12 steps look conceptually. It's good to get the whole playing field. And the first three steps that we spent time on is just peace with God. You just got to get right with God. You're not going to be able uh, to go through the, re uh, the rest of the steps until you're anchored in God. So, so get your relationship with God right. Last week, we really began the intentional process. It's like a hinge that we open a, a different door, go into a, 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 another room, and now we're starting to work with ourselves. And this first piece is beginning to make an inventory of our failures. Wouldn't it be great every morning that you go to church, Easter Sunday, you've got your journal under your arm, and as you walk in, you've done such work all week of acknowledging your failures that you're coming to the Holy of Holies, to the house of God, to open up your journal and say, God, I, I bring my failures to you this morning. This is my inventory of the sins that I'm aware of, and yet there's so many things that I'm not aware of. And then we move into step five, that the confession now is to another person, the power of another person. Now, as we start this, I want to show you a clip that what confessing to another person might look like. This is not the ideal, but this is the way it often feels and looks. Clip out of Meet uh, the Parents. Watch this. <laughs> well, I heard a noise, so I came down to see if everything was okay. Everything's fine. I just, I'm sorry. I, I saw a light on and kind of, kind of stumbled in and I didn't realize. Well, that's okay. See anything interesting? No, not at all. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is great though. I love this way you, this cozy little nook. I noticed you were looking at that when I came in. Yeah, it's an antique holograph machine. Is that what that is? I've seen these before, but I never saw one actually up close. You know what? 
try that on. Oh. It's okay. Oh, come on. We'll have some fun. I'll show you how it works. <laughs> I, 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 I should. Well, why should you do it? You have nothing. No, I know. I know. Oh, yeah. We shouldn't have any problem. No, there's no problem. Oh, I know. Yes, gentlemen, that's why we don't confess our sins. It's just too painful. That's what it looks like. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The purpose of step five is to become whole. Do you really want to be whole? No, that's okay. <laughs> I just want a good meal, and I want to play golf on Saturday. I'm cool. No. You know, as we've talked about, uh, as I talk about in my book, the lion, the bull, the chameleon, the turtle, the lion is committed to growth. And most of us aren't. We're committed to being whole, to being all that God intended us to be. And if you're going to be whole, You've got to embrace this idea, this ideal of confession. It's like a filter. I have a water filter on my sink in my home in Fairhope. They tell me that it takes out all the impurities. I can definitely tell the difference in that water that comes out of that faucet from the water that comes out of the normal faucet. And confession is like a filter. It filters your life. It tears down the walls that inhibits and prohibits intimacy. You've got to tell another person. And this perfectionism thing makes cancer look like a head cold. We think we have to be perfect. Being whole between Eden and heaven where we live is not being perfect without sin. That's a lie. That's a delusion or an illusion. 
What being whole means is that I embrace my failures and I embrace my gifts. Flowers and weeds is what we call them. Flowers and weeds. We acknowledge both rather than feeling like we have to be perfect. It's not true. So then why do we have to do it with another person? Daggone it. I don't want to do it with another person. Here's why we have to do it with another person. First of all, we need a witness. Another person concretizes what we've done. It just makes it real. Those of you who have been to our men's coaching weekend, Deer Camp, you've seen me use this illustration for years. Right hand, left hand. Right hand, left hand. Roger knows exactly where I'm headed with this. I've always been able to dribble a basketball with my right hand. Uh, my uncle was the high school basketball coach. Basketball has always been a big part of my family. I mean, as long as I can remember, seriously, I could dribble a basketball with my right hand. But uh, when I got on a team uh, and got a uniform in the fourth grade, I still remember being in practice early on, and my left hand wouldn't work. And I was slapping at the ball like this with my left hand. I could dribble with my right hand and slap it with my left hand. And, and Coach White, Norman White, Coach White yells, Phil, are we going to cut that left hand off? Or are you going to learn how to drill with your left hand? I mean, the shame, dude. At that night, I was back there on the dirt court that my dad put in the backyard, and I was trying to get that left hand to work because I knew that it was broken. And if I was going to be a good basketball player, I was going to have to get that left hand to work. And so much about confession is taking our left-handed parts, throwing it up on the table, and letting everybody see it. But change doesn't happen at that point. It's not just about getting it out there. Well, I got it out there. No. What really changes your left-handed parts, your broken parts, is when you get that bro broken part out there and it gets loved. You risk the possibility of people running from that. Like, you did that? That left hand? Yeah. Well, I did the same thing, only worser. And you've got a group of guys that look at that left-handed part, and all of a sudden they start throwing their left-handed part up, and now that part of you that you've been so ashamed of and so broken is getting loved. It is a powerful moment of holiness and sacred ground. God shows up. That's why we have to do it with another person. We take responsibility. Change happens when your broken parts get loved. Rather than walking around hiding them and acting like it doesn't exist, that's crazy. But here's the process, this last part. The process is this. you got to choose a person who you're going to tell. And, and, and this is tricky. I mean, I've heard guys choose the wrong person. And they got shamed. They got judged. It didn't work out the way they thought it would. So it is important that you share it with a person with compassion, integrity, and who's not going to put you on the prayer list. 
you know what the prayer list is? Well, you heard about Phil, you know, well, you know, well, you know, we need to pray for Phil. I believe in prayer. I love prayer, but that doggone prayer list is the gossip list half the time, right? I'm not talking about the gossip list. I'm talking about if I tell you, you will hold it in confidence. Confidentiality is critical. Now, that applies in general, but that does not apply to your wife and to your kids. And what I mean by that is that when you have harmed them, you're not looking for a compassionate response, um, a uh, grace-oriented response. You've got to do it regardless of how they respond. Does that make sense? That's different. It's like, well, you know, you know, my wife is not grace-oriented. Um, and what I would say, I understand that some wives can't handle the truth. And that's where you need to be in my office, be in somebody's office that will guide you through that because that can be really tricky. But you've got to have in your head, I know I need to tell. When do I tell? How do I tell? How do I do it in the best way? And, and, that, and that is, there's an art to that for sure. But what you've got to do then is set up that meeting and meet. And then maybe the most important part is the last part, and that is, listen, after you've shared, shut up. And that's where the feedback comes in. And um, when feedback is done well, people's lives are truly changed. Um, when feedback is done poorly, judgment and condemnation happens. And unfortunately, I've, I've seen the latter. But the feedback is important because it's like, okay, if I throw that part up on the table that I'm so ashamed of and I, that I've been afraid to share, what are you going to do with that part? And when that part that I've been so ashamed of gets loved and cared for and embraced, I mean, it is holy ground. God shows up. I know that many in this room have experienced that. But step five is about risking rejection, abandonment, at the possibility of experiencing grace and acceptance and relationship. And it is only relationship that heals Every problem you have and that I have is a relationship problem and a relationship solution. What we often say is that I need to take a me problem and convert it into a we solution. That's how it works. Step five, admit your wrongs. Admit your failures. To God ourselves, and another person. Glad you're here. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much um, for the time that you've given us to consider our lives and, more importantly, your hand on our lives. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts to bring us here this morning. And I pray that what we uh, have experienced here this morning uh, would go deep into our hearts in a way that would bring honor to your name and healing to our hearts. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.